Okay, this morning, I want to talk about this story that we find ourselves in, this Jesus story. I have been, the last several weeks, kind of uh, looking at the book of Acts, and um, I, I find very little comfort in the book of Acts, because it challenges me and uh, points to stuff in me that I don't like having pointed out. Uh, you run into these people that are willing to proclaim the story about Jesus, even when they got into serious trouble for it. And I mean, these are people, you know, their friends and their family members are being incarcerated, some of them murdered, uh, and, and they keep, because of the Christ story that they're bearing witness to, and they just keep telling it. You know, what were they thinking? You know? <laughs> but the reality is, I don't think they were just committed to doing this because they thought it was the truth and people should know the truth no matter what, we just need to tell the truth. Um, I, 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 and and I, I, because there's no sense that there were these mean, self-righteous kind of people that, uh, uh, that, is, that, that are the kind of people that usually think they know everything, right, and have the truth about everything. You don't see that in them. And nor would they think they were trying to build a big church um, as though church growth was the foremost thing all should be committed to. Right? I, I don't think that's what's going on. I'm sure they believed they were telling the truth, and I'm sure they wanted to build Christ's church. But I think there was something much deeper going on. You know, uh, people love big ideas, and they love you know, the truth and the church. Those are big ideas, to be sure. Uh, people love to give to those things. People love to support those things. But people aren't willing to die for ideas. People are only willing to die for a cause, something that cuts them to the very bone of their soul. What was the cause of these early Christians? What, were the, what was the cause they were willing to die for? Um, before I plunge into that question, let me, um, let me make an interesting observation. When you're reading the book of Acts, if you read the New Testament, you run into Jesus and the Gospels and the whole story and the arc of the story and what he did and all that sort of thing. It's not totally explicated. It's just basically you just hear the story. But when you hit the book of Acts, all of a sudden there's this shift and, and, and almost any... Uh, commentary read about this points this out. There's a real shift from just Jesus as Messiah to the to the person of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes on this very central role in starting in the in the Acts narrative. Uh, the book actually opens up. Jesus is talking to them after the resurrection, and they're saying to Jesus, "Okay, you're going to take over Rome now," you know, because they're hoping Jesus came to kind of smite people that they didn't like. Um, some people still think that. But anyway, the point is, is that Jesus said, listen, don't even think about that. What you need to think about is you need to go and hang and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And we read in the narrative in Acts 1 and 8, Jesus is talking to them. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And as a result of this this experience, you're going to be a witness of an experience, and you'll be a witness of this to Jerusalem, the people close to you, to Judea, Samaria, kind of larger groups of people, farther away groups of people. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And the scripture says they waited. And then the Holy Spirit shows up in chapter 2 and verse 1 in this wild and woolly story. We read in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly... A sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then they, they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. I think the key point here is that they were doing things they couldn't have done on their own. 
that the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is to help us be and help us see and help us do what we cannot do on our own. Because I think that, that really what we have to remember is that Christianity is more than just a human thing. That there's something more going on. It isn't just about ethics and beliefs and dogma and that kind of thing. It has all that stuff in it. But what Christianity is, it's kind of a supernatural experience. Where all of a sudden, because of God's presence in our lives, we begin to connect dots on things we didn't connect dots on. And we begin to not only see things differently, but we, get, we begin to be able to be a different kind of person than we were on our own and do things that are beyond our own human ability. There's something extra about it. It's not just a religion. It's actually a participation in the divine. There's a cool verse in, uh, in Romans 11. It's one of my favorite verses that it says, from him and through him and to him are all things. Listen to it. From him, through him, to him are all things. And then it says, to him be the glory, to God be the glory. I, I don't know what it is in my natural thinking. I always think that Christianity was, when I started learning about what I'm supposed to do, I was supposed to pray, I was supposed to do this, I was supposed to do that, I was supposed to read scripture, I was supposed to be able to bear witness to people. But I, I just started thinking, okay, I gotta get all this down and from me, through me, for God. It you know, became this kind of from me, through me, for God. Am I doing everything right? You know, you kind of get all freaked out and and a little bit hemorrhoidal and um, <laughs> painful. Uh, but what it says, the scripture says is it's from, and then if you ever did do anything right that you thought was right, then all of a sudden in your heart, you're going, to me be the glory, right? <laughs> For the things I have done. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> but, but this notion is, is that from him, through him, to him are all things. And then Paul says this beautiful thing. He says, therefore, present yourselves unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. The idea here is that Christianity is our presenting ourselves to a God who performs. It's not us performing for God. But when we're looking for what's coming from him, and once we discover that, we can do things through him, back to him, to God be the glory, and we present ourselves to a God who performs in us. So Christianity isn't so much our responsibility, it's sort of our response to a divine ability, and all of a sudden there's a transformed life. This is what's going on in the lives of these people that we read about in the book of Acts. And it's happening because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look, jump into a particular text that I, uh, uh, in the book of Acts that kind of captures this idea of the Holy Spirit showing them things about, you know, the, uh, about what's really going on around them, what Jesus was actually about. He's connecting the dots. He's letting them in on the secrets behind the scene of what's happening. And then he's empowering them to do things that they couldn't do on their own. And we see it in Acts chapter eight. We start in verse one. It says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death, who he's referring to as Stephen, who in chapter seven, he was preaching the gospel. He was sharing his faith. He was in Jerusalem, so it's his hometown. It's a small place. And he's sharing with people that he grew up with, people that were his friends, people that were there that knew him. And as he's preaching and talking to them, it keeps, they keep getting madder. Now, I've had people get mad at me when I talk, but they were getting really mad at him to the point where they snagged him, took him outside the town, and they, started, they stoned him to death. They murdered him. And the instigator of this little event that went on is this guy named Saul. And so we pick up in Acts 1, it, you know, they're saying Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. This is the same Saul that in a chapter, in chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus and he's out to torment and imprison and murder more Christians. 
thinking he's doing God's service, right? And on his way to Damascus, God mugs him and stops him. All of us have mugging stories, you know, from God. And uh, so after God mugs him, he surrenders his life to Christ and he becomes who we know now as the great apostle Paul. And so he's the guy that started a bunch of churches. He's also a guy that wrote a third of the New Testament. But here in chapter 8, before his conversion, before his mugging, he is just a punk. The punk Saul, right? And so here he is. Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. This was his friend. They were the, these friends of his were mourning his passing. And then it says, but Saul destroyed, started to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women to put them in prison. Those who were scattered preached the word everywhere they went. First thing I wanted to point out here is just simply that notice that having faith doesn't always make life easier. These guys um, were getting in trouble because of their faith. I grew up in a evangelical church where they used to sing these songs that were always full of victory. No victory, which is, everything was victory. Everything, one, I remember one song they used to sing a lot and, and it was, you know, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before, you know? And, I, and I'd watch them singing that and I'd be singing it and then I'd think to myself, I don't know. <laughs> you know, because sometimes life still stinks even if you have faith. Sometimes precisely because you have faith, life stinks. Because you have to surrender things like doing what you want to do. I have the, when Pastor Brent said he was selfish, I thought, I have that spiritual gift. <laughs> and, and saying no to that and crucifying that, this does not feel good. This is, you know, so there, there, there are times it, 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 to suggest that always things are wonderful and all things will be fixed because of Christ in your life. I mean, it's true. It's wonderful to have your sin fixed. It's wonderful to be forgiven. It's wonderful to see God answer prayer. I mean, there's a lot of upside to following Jesus that your life will be much better than it ever would have been on your own if you were in charge. But the reality is we still live in a fallen world. And sometimes it's a more accurate to say sometimes faith makes you win big in life. And sometimes faith makes you lose big in life. And what you and I need to decide is to be a person of faith. What we're saying is, I'm in no matter what the outcome is. And, and I, in this particular narrative, in this Acts narrative, they are losing big time. They're being imprisoned. They're having to flee to, to get out of the situation. They're being murdered, right? That kind of thing. And it was so fascinating is when they flee, they didn't flee to go undercover. They fleed and they kept talking about the story that got them in trouble. They keep, they keep you know, even though they, <laughs> they're, they're in, they get in this kind of level of persecution, they still are loving to tell the story. I don't think it was because they thought it was a good idea. This is just a wonderful idea about Jesus and the church is a wonderful idea. I honestly believe that they were willing to die because they had fallen in love with the person of Jesus, that he was their cause, that somehow the Holy Spirit had connected the dots for them, that he had come into their lives and he began to show them what Jesus had done and how it had impacted the world and what it meant to them personally, so much so that they thought, oh my gosh, for him to have done this for me, I'm willing to go to do this for him and in his name. I mean, they had, they'd been floored as the Holy Spirit revealed to them that Christ 
was actually Almighty God breaking into the human experience. <laughs> that it was incarnation, right? That Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. That, that John had said the word was God and that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there literally means to tent. So what he was saying was that this was Jesus, God in flesh. He came from another place and he basically set up a tent in our yard in our proximity, and he hung with us, and we saw him, and we knew why he was there. They discovered that he didn't just come to live and to show them things, but he had actually come to die, to die for us, that he submitted to a cross where he, as the one who was everything, had everything taken from him, and they knew that. It it was revealed to them that Jesus was the one who was perfect, And yet he was perfectly misjudged by the people that should have gotten it right, the religious leaders. I mean, religious leaders get it right all the time, right? The political leaders, don't they get it right? But the the religious leaders, the political leaders, the ones that were in charge of everything that was happening in their context, they had gotten it completely wrong. Jesus. Not only that, the crowd who chose Barabbas, a common thief over Jesus, the crowd represents us. They had gotten it as wrong as they could possibly get it. Let me sidebar and just say, you know, one, one of the verses we've been hanging on to for the last several months, and we love it, it's out of Micah 6. It says, or, uh, it basically says that, we're to, that what God wants from us is to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. To do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And we love this notion of walking humbly because we understand that unless we're very watchful, our natural impulse will be to crucify Jesus in our midst. Because let me say something about Jesus. He's a disruptor. He will arrest things in your life. And if you're not careful, you'll, you'll crucify him. You'll stop his voice, especially those of us in religious leadership. Sometimes we're too concerned about the power and the flow of an organization. More concerned about that than anything else. That's what these guys that crucified him did. They just were concerned about the, the flow of, of Judaism and the flow of what was going on in their culture. And they crucified Jesus because they were more concerned about that. We can too often become too concerned about money or the mission that we're on or the success that we're supposed to be experiencing so much so that we miss the kingdom of God. This is the danger of leadership. When I was um, pastoring my first church here in Tulsa uh, back in 1998 before I self-destructed, resigned, stepped out of ministry for a while, a couple of years, we had about 1,200 people come in on a Friday night service here in Tulsa. And... uh, Everybody kept coming to me and saying, look, we need to do Sunday morning. We need to do Sunday morning. Please, let's do Sunday morning. We, we want to be able to do Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. And, and so I, I, I said, I'll pray about it. We'll think about it. We'll talk about it. And then I was out on a run uh, during that season. And I, and I remember praying. I was saying to the Lord, Lord, we need to do Sunday morning. I mean, this, people are coming Friday night. They want a Sunday morning contest. We need to build a community. Let's do Sunday morning. And I'm kind of praying this way. And I have this sense in my heart. Now, I'm going to put words to it but it's not really what I heard. I mean, when I, in my experience, whenever I've had a sense from God, it's kind of like, the, you know, like sometimes I get a sense from my wife, you know, I get a sense that she doesn't like something or she likes something. I can put words to what I think she's saying, right? But it, it's, it's more the sense of what's going on, right? It's like that. So, so I'm, I'm walking and I have this sense that the Holy Spirit said to me, yes, it would be really good for the church for you to go to Sunday morning services. And I'm thinking to myself, 
okay, that's good. And then I have this second impulse, this sense was, but it will hurt the kingdom in this city. Now, I know I didn't make that up. I mean, because that's not how I think, right? Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, what is that about? And so we didn't do it. I just said, the guys, I, I don't know what to do. We can't do it. And so a few months went by. People kept asking. People kept asking. People kept asking. So I'm out again on my run. That's usually where I spend kind of prayer time. And so I'm out doing it again. And I'm saying, Lord, I, we need to start a Sunday morning service. And I hear nothing. No sense, no anything. Just he was out for the day. <laughs> and so I took that as an okay to start Sunday mornings. And it was the beginning of a roller coaster that was not a good one for me. What I'm simply suggesting to you is that it's pretty easy as a leader to manipulate what you want to do and crucify the Lord Jesus Christ in your midst. I think it's easy to do in our own personal lives. I think if we're not careful, we can easily miss the kingdom and we vote yes and we cry, crucify him. And unless we know that, and unless we understand that that's kind of our natural default, we will get in trouble. That's what I think it means, walk humbly, that we are honest about the fact that we will crucify him in our lives. That that's our natural default, that we will naturally think of ways that will stop the disruptive Christ in our world. It's like when I drive, you know, I drove up to um, uh, in the middle of Missouri this week. It's a four-hour drive. I'm driving up there. And when I get on that freeway and you're going 80-something miles an hour, <laughs> um, you know, and you know you're out of the will of God. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I really was going. But anyway, the point is, is I'm driving that fast and people are, you know, you're going so fast on that turnpike. I, I have 10 and 2 going on, man. And I am looking and I'm watching. You know why? Because I'm thinking to myself, I could kill myself. If I don't watch out for here, I could kill myself and other people. So I'm alert, I'm expectant, I'm suspicious of my driving. I think we should do that. I think we ought to drive in our lives walking humbly with God. And the humility says, God, I need to watch out because if I'm not careful today, I will crucify you in my life. I will stop you in my life and I will stop you in the lives of others because I generally want to react to things based on power struggles and on what I think the flow is. And that kind of leadership is what crucified you. So this, these people in the book of Acts, they, 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 they were in love with Jesus. They, had under, they understood what he had done. They understood how, how he had been missed and they began to, the Holy Spirit helped them to understand that the cross, that on that cross was all the hidden, private, tragic pain of human history made public. And, and, and they knew that everything bad and ugly about the human condition was nailed there. That the only hope of good was through that cross on the other side of it. They knew that somehow Jesus had come into complete solidarity with the pain of the world's that he had become one with the far too many lives that on this planet that have been nasty and lonely and brutish and short, that he knew that. He experienced that so that he could help us. The cross meant to these early saints that Jesus joined us in our human pain, that the picture of the cross is a picture of broken humanity, a picture of us. 
And, and this was God communing with all that humanity had ever suffered. This was, this was him loving us from eternity and becoming all that we had become in our fallenness so that we could begin to taste who he is. And so when they heard this story and it was illumined in their heart, they thought, this is worth being part of, right? And so they would pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what hallowed mean? You know when we say that, what the word actually hallowed means? It means you're worth dying for. You're so sacred that it's worth, you're worth dying for. So precious, you're worth dying for. This was alive in their heart. And then the whole thing they saw was followed by this mind-blowing event called the, we call it the resurrection. <laughs> resurrection wasn't supposed to happen till the end of the world. I mean, every Jew knew that, at the, the end of the world, the resurrection happens. So all of a sudden, here they are, and Jesus is raised from the dead. It's a resurrection. They're going, whoa, 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 whoa. It created this huge question. This, this isn't the end of the world, right? Or is it? And all of a sudden, this, this image of Jesus' resurrection from the grave, this resurrection physically becomes the image of the fact that we're in a new age, a new world, that the old world had passed away and a new world was emerging. And the language of new creation becomes a part of our language of the church. That we're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And somehow they understood that it wouldn't become totally new until Jesus came back. But that it had begun. It was in motion. They knew that they were part of something new. Something eternal. That, that we're not just a part of an old order. That we don't have to trust the old religious leaders and their judgments. Or the old political leaders and their judgments. That, but that we could directly trust the risen Savior. He becomes our Lord. This is what their cause was. This was what we're encountering when we read the book of Acts. We're not just reading about a bunch of people who just thought they should tell people the truth because, you know, we should stand for the truth. And we should grow the church. You know, the church is important. Let's give and grow the church. And I don't think, that, I think that's part of it, but they're just in love with this being who had come to this planet and they were stepping out without regard to their lives based on what Jesus had done. And they knew that even if they faced death, they were part of a story that transcended death. Touchdown, God. Wow, right? I wish I always kept this in mind. I wish I always thought like this. I wish I always remembered this, but I don't. Uh, the truth is, I've always struggled a little bit with remembering what faith is about. I drift off course in my heart. And sometimes, you know, even when it comes to being bold about my faith, and that's what the book of Acts throws me on, is communicating my faith. I mean, I don't mind communicating my faith to people who know I'm a pastor or with friends and family. But you know when you start a new relationship with people and you're getting to know them and you're liking them, there's something in me that wants to tell them the Jesus story, but I don't want to do, I want to love them first. I don't want, I, I don't want to, I want them to like me. <laughs> right? And I don't want to embarrass them. And lots of times you bring up spiritual things, people get a little embarrassed. So I have this kind of thing in me where I'm going, I, I've always told the Lord, you know, I want to be more bold. I want to be able to connect with you. I want to be able to utilize my relationships with people and open up at the appropriate time. Don't, I don't like the yellow streak on my back. Right? And so when, when I encounter texts like the book of Acts, where I see them willing to be imprisoned and murdered, and I look at what I'm doing, sometimes I, I mean, I am just not consoled by this book. 
I am confronted by this book. And, and then I'm left convicted, if not ashamed, which means I have to do something with it. And what I do in, it really is unlocked in the next part of our text. And what I do is I look for the Holy Spirit. Because what I've discovered is when I cannot do or cannot be or cannot think the way I'm supposed to, that I'm not supposed to beat myself into trying to be better. I think that when you are an idiot and when you are a slug and when you're being sinful or you're being everything you're not supposed to do, I think you should look to God and say, God, look at me. This is the best I do. This is par. You know par when you golf, you know? This is par for me. I am a moron. Right? And this is where we say, and I need your help. Because this is from you and through you and back to you. This is not supposed to be about me. This is supposed to be about you in me. And so I will continue to be this bad and worse if I don't get help from you. I honestly believe this. I think this is what Paul said when he said, present yourselves to God. This is your reasonable service of worship. You need help. And those of you who don't need help, that you're really holy, even if God died, you'd still be holy. It's a problem. Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Let's read the and I'll show you what happens here when they're leaning on the Holy Spirit. It says, Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and they saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, many paralytics and cripples are healed. A lot of joy in the city. Things are popping. For now, for some time, a man named Simon, he's a sorcerer, he practiced sorcery in the city. He amazed all the people at Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention. They exclaimed, this guy, he's got some power. He's known as the great power. And they followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when Philip shows up and he begins to preach to people, people started believing Philip. As he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Christ, people started getting baptized, both men and women. Even Simon the sorcerer himself comes to believe, and he gets baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Now watch this next part. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God... These guys had heard the message of Jesus. They responded to the message of Jesus. They were baptized. They had crossed the threshold of faith. When they found out about it, the scripture says that they sent Peter and John, two apostles, to them. Why? When they arrived, they prayed for the people that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is such an interesting text to me. Because it points to the fact that though these folks had had a, a moment of salvation, they had had some encounter with the Christ where they're saying yes to him and they're being baptized and they're opening their lives to him, they're starting their journey of faith. Yet, and even though this has happened, the, holy, the, the apostles thought it was important enough to go up to them and talk with them about the Holy Spirit. Now, I think this suggests that we can miss the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, even though we're Christians, that we can miss it. 
I, don't misunderstand me. I, I do not believe that if you come to Christ that you don't have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make sense to me. If you come to Jesus, everyone that comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to come into their lives, the Lord Jesus Christ comes into your heart. It isn't like the Trinity fragments. You can't even say, Paul said, Jesus is Lord, which is critical to crossing the, the threshold of faith. You can't even say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit in your life. So these people have the Holy Spirit. They have the Father. They have the Son. They have the Trinity. They have God in their souls. They have God in their lives. So what's going on here? I think what's happening is that, 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 that if we're not careful, we will miss the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so these apostles in here are basically, I think what they're saying is, we cannot assume they're going to catch the Holy Spirit. So we need to go up and pray with them. We need to, to show them how to be intentional about the role of the Holy Spirit. Because here's the odd thing about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he will never speak of himself. So you have someone in you who won't talk about himself. You ever meet somebody that never talks? You have to be intentional to get to know them. I think that the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, we, we will just be caught up with just the experiences we've had and we will not realize that there's someone actually present. The person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit who's actually present in our lives. He's described as a dove, which means you can't lunge at him. He's described as this being with a quiet gentleness about him. And yet there's power there. Odd thing. I think the point is, is that we can miss him. It's not like this great story in the Old Testament with Elijah. And Elijah's trying to hear from God. He's in a place where he needs to hear God's voice and, and in his life. And he's standing in front of this cave. And the Bible says he's trying to, he's opening his life to God. And all of a sudden, this, this earth or this uh, wind comes, a tornadic wind comes, throwing rocks around and just go, blowing all around him. And he thinks, oh, it must be God. It's so mighty. And when he listens, the scripture says, but God was not in the wind. And then all of a sudden, this earthquake comes and starts shaking. He's thinking, this, this has got to be God. And as he listens, there's nothing. And the scripture says, but God was not in the earthquake. And then there's this great fire that starts shooting all around and burning stuff up. He's thinking, this has got to be it. And the scripture says, but God was not in the fire. And then all of a sudden it says, and then there was this gentle blowing. One version says, a still small voice, which means you couldn't miss it. See, I think most of the time God is speaking in our lives. We don't catch it. We're like Jacob who said when God spoke to him, he said, oh, God was in this place, but I did not know. See, I think God is in our lives. But we, if we don't get intentional about recognizing, listen, yes, we've come to Christ. Yes, we're people of faith, but we will miss the Holy Spirit. We need the apostles to come say, hey, don't forget the Holy Spirit. Listen for the voice of the Lord. Learn the voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul challenges us in 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word fellowship there is the word koinonia. It means this interactive communication, intimacy between you and the Holy Spirit. Do The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that would be we could call fellowship? Or are we kind of... Ignorant of him. I think we need to be intentional about asking the Holy Spirit to help us. He is our helper. Example, one example. Years ago, this was when I was in Wisconsin, 
And it had to do specifically with this business of being more bold about sharing my faith without it being weird and, and being authentic. And, I, and I'm saying to God, I'm saying, God, you know I got this yellow streak. It's because I want people to like me. And I won't keep being this way. I need you to help me. I need you to help me to know what to say. I need you to help me to, to transition so that I don't, I'm not just buttonholing people, you know, where I'm thinking, I, you know, you're my next victim. But I actually care about people. And so I'm praying about, Holy Spirit, help me, right? And I was actually driving back from having visited this lady who, she was in her 80s. She had just lost her husband within a three-week period. And I went up to have dinner with her. And she was kind of a chatty lady, so we were there for hours. And uh, I was driving back. It was about an hour away from our, where we lived in Wisconsin, in Marshfield. And I'm driving back. And on the way back, I had talked to the Lord about this. And I'm talking, saying, God, I want to be more aware of the Holy Spirit. And as I'm about 20 miles outside of our town, um, I, I looked over to the right as we're coming through this other little smaller town. Uh, there was a big field and about 30 or 40 cars out there, big bonfire, and you could kind of hear loud music. And then as I drove, driving by, kind of looking, thinking, wondering what's going on, I see this handmade sign, you know, out of cardboard, party till dawn. <laughs> and I remember looking at that and looking over there, I see there were a bunch of kids. And I'm thinking, oh, party till dawn. Those, those kids, young people are going to get in trouble. You know, in my head, right? I'm thinking, that's just silly, you know, the kind of thing. And I'm driving, and I'm thinking about my message. It was a Saturday night, so I'm thinking about what I'm going to talk about in the morning. And, and as I was driving, I heard, I kid you not, I heard in my heart, go back. Now, I had just been asking the Holy Spirit about more boldness, but I wasn't thinking he was going to answer me. <laughs> you know, what's that about? And, and to be perfect, I kid you not, I started singing. Da, 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 just trying to get that little, you know, get the still small voice more small. And then I heard it again, go back. And then this time I kind of had this sense. Again, it wasn't words so much as a sense, but something like, there are people there that have never heard Jesus. Uh, so. I thought, okay, okay. And I, start, I remember turning the car around. And the minute I started turning the car around, I started having an out-of-body experience. Like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? I mean, I am not kidding. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to pull onto that lot. And within five minutes, car cops, you know, the cop cars are going to come. And then I'm going to be on the front page of the Marshfield News Herald. And I'm going to be like this, grabbed by the policeman and the under the say, pastor caught in drug ring. I mean, this is my, I'm thinking, I'm going, this is a bad idea. So I'm pulling in and as I got out of the car, I'm not kidding, it's like I'm watching myself get out of the car. And I'm, I'm walking toward those kids and I, you know, they're looking at me and I'm this guy and I'm, I don't know if I had a suit on, I don't remember what I had on, but I walked up to them and they're all kids. And I said, hey everybody, would you, would it be cool if I could talk to you for just a minute? I mean, they're looking at me like a dog at a new dish, right? They're going to go on. And I said, I said, come on, everybody get together. I said, come out of the bushes. You know, let's get over here. I said, who's got the car with the music, you know? And this guy says, Jim, whatever. I said, Jim, would you mind? I said, would you mind just I'd just be a couple minutes. And they're just, don't know what's going on. And they turn off the music and they stand. They're all kind of standing there. They're all kind of huddling in. I gave them a minute. I said, listen. I said, this sounds a little crazy, I know. But I'm, I was just driving by and I felt in my heart. I'm a Christian. I felt in my heart that God wanted me to come by and just talk to you for just a minute about Jesus. And the minute I said that, they're starting to rustle. <laughs> You know, and uh, then a guy, you know, took a you know, he had a keg of beer there. He took a beer and poured it and gave it to you. Want a drink? Now, that's the first time I'd ever been served by a minor. 
See, he was, he was just trying to make me mad. Like, well, what are you foolish children doing? You know, he wanted some kind of reaction. But I remember looking at him and saying, man, no, that's cool. I, I, I'm not thirsty. Thank you, though, so much. And then right away, these, these three girls that were sitting next to me started going, they started saying, amen. Amen. See, they were mocking me. They were making people laugh. They were mocking me, thinking they were going to get me mad. But I looked at them and said, thank you. I said, I need the encouragement. <laughs> so then I'm, I, I said, okay, I got their attention. I started telling them the message. I knew I had two or three minutes before the cops came, so I'm telling it quick. <laughs> I'm saying, listen. I said, just want you to know that you guys are dreams come true from God, that he really loves you. He has a plan for you. And if you really open your life to him, he'll, he'll give you a better life than you could have gotten on your own. And I just sort of laid out, you just need to open your life to him. Just start by saying, just make yourself more real to him, whatever, I, you know, kind of that short message. And as soon as I got done, I said, anyway, have a, have a fun night. I'm out of here. So I start going, walking over, you know, and I'm hightailing. And all of a sudden, as I'm hightailing, this, I sense a present. I look back, and there's this girl coming, and I keep walking. And I, I said, I said well, and I felt, no, stop. So I stopped and I said, uh, yeah. And she goes, you know, that was really something. I mean, you were like really strong about your faith. And, you know, she was talking like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's, she wants me to pray with her. I said, would you like me to pray with you to open your life to Jesus? She goes, yeah. I said, okay. So I went and grabbed her hand. And just as I grabbed her hand, I sensed this presence. Looked up, it's this boy. I think it's her, it's her boyfriend. And I'm, I'm saying, no, I'm not hitting on her. I, we're just praying. <laughs> I'm holding her hands. <laughs> and he goes, uh, can I pray too? Yeah. And so just as we're about ready to start praying, all of a sudden here come the three amen girls. And they say, can we pray? I said, yeah. And before we got done, there were 12 people. They gathered around and we prayed and all those kids gave their life to Jesus. And then I got out of there really fast. No follow-up plans. But here, here's what I'm trying to say to you. This is real. The Holy Spirit helping you be what you cannot be. When you're in, in a situation where you, you don't have enough love and you know you need to love more, quit trying to love. Just say to God, God, I don't love them right now. In fact, if, if you want me, I'll hate them for you. You'd be surprised if you just be honest with God. I'm telling you, just be honest with God. God, you know, this person that's walking in front of me, I would love to lust at them for you. You tell God what you're really feeling, what's actually happening to you, and you don't try to cover up as though God would go, oh, myself, I can't believe that they did that. <laughs> right? But you actually tell God, I don't think I have any love for me, but the Holy Spirit, would you be for me what I cannot be? I double dog dare you to try this. And you watch, you'll be surprised by God showing up in your life. Or if you have a sense where you, you don't have, seem to forgive, and you say, God, I can't forgive them. I, I can't go on in this. I can't believe this promise. I mean, I'm seeing this, but I don't have any faith to believe this promise. Just be honest with God. You say you're with me. I don't think you're with me. I don't feel anything in me feels like you're with me. But Holy Spirit, would you help me get this? Would you connect the dots? Would you help me see what I cannot see? I'm telling you that simple, honest, open prayer to the person of the Holy Spirit. He is your helper. He will help you. Because Christianity isn't about controlling yourself. It's not about good behavior. It's about deep trust. The poor in spirit win. Not the rich people that think they're wonderful. It's those of us that know we suck at this. 
never honest enough to tell God. I would much rather judge people than love people, God. Why don't you let me judge them for you? You love them. When we come to God with that kind of honesty, I think he wraps us in his arms and he says, let me be in you what you cannot be. I think this is what's the heart, at the heart of a spirit-filled life. This is what's at the heart of living rightly. This is what's at the heart of ministry, of any kind of church building. This is more, this isn't just about us standing here saying, well, you know, we got to tell the world the truth because some of them are just so, I mean, they should just know the truth. And besides that, it should have smaller government too. Now, I'm for a smaller government, irrespective. But the point is, don't, don't, I am, don't jam all your idea of truth into one box. This is transcendent truth, baby. Whether you're a big government or small government person, Jesus is Lord. And we're dying for. Hooray. Let's stand. Now, we're going to end this morning with coming this, well, is it this morning? This afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, the games have all kicked off. I feel that call in my spirit to go. (laughs) You know, you hear that word go and go. But as we come to the table, here's what I'm going to ask you. In fact, let me ask those of you that are helping us this morning with the table, come up, would you? We're, We're going to try something a little different over the next few months and see if we like it. But what we're going to do is, you know, we come to the table, and most of the time we just come to the table, and we grab the bread and dip it in the cup, and, and, and uh, we have this more personal experience, and we don't want to lose that. But what we also know is that communion isn't just about us coming to the table and to the, persons, the presence of Jesus in the table, but coming to each other. That community is, the communion is about the communion with him and the communion with one another. So we thought we want to have, we're going to, we're going to try this. We're going to have folks that you can come up the same way. You grab the bread and dip it in the cup. But, but as you grab the bread, they're going to say body of Christ to you. As you grab the cup, they're going to say, or dip the cup into the cup, they're going to say the blood of Christ to you. And us connect not just with the Lord, but with the fact that we're one together. And so we want to shake this up a little bit. You know, we just, we, we, we just think this might capture something that uh, would be important for us as a people, okay? Let's go ahead and lift these up to him. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you made a a way for us to be understood. That everything ugly and painful and hurtful about the human experience, you became one with. And then on the back end of it, you rose out of it to give us hope. It doesn't mean that every ugly thing doesn't happen. It just means that there's no ugly thing that can forever tarnish us. That even death loses its victory and its sting, even though it's painful. You understand it. You understand us. And the cross that we celebrate here, the death of Jesus, the body and the blood of Jesus opens the way for us to be changed. And it opens the way for us to love each other as brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, as we come to the table that we will bring all of our stuff, our hurts, our pains, our hopes, our anxieties, our sin, and our right actions. That will bring it all to you. As we touch the bread, we realize we're touching your body. As we dip the bread, we realize we're dipping into the blood of Christ. But on some supernatural level, 
this meal is as powerful as the manna that fell in the wilderness. There was something supernatural about that under the old covenant. There's something supernatural about this under the new. And so you're present here. And Holy Spirit, we're also asking you to help us as we come to surrender our very lives to you so that we can become and see what we cannot become on our own and see on our own. So Lord, we lift up the bread and we say this, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. And so by faith, we believe right now as a people that you're entering into this bread and that it is becoming for us the body of Christ. And so we say, we welcome you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the same manner you took the cup and you said, this is the cup of your blood, the blood of the new and the everlasting covenant. We're trusting that right now, Lord Jesus, that you are entering the cup and it is becoming for us the blood of Christ. And so by faith, we say, welcome, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's declare the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Let me invite you to come and participate in the body and blood.